Hello and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Michael, better known as the Kaiju Groupie, and today I am joined by not one, but two guests, Robert Kelly and his lovely wife, Courtney Meissner-Kelly of the Record All Monsters podcast. Guys, welcome to the show. How are y'all doing? Hi. Doing great, Michael. It's good to be here. Yes. (laughs) Now, Courtney, it's it, you can't be timid on this podcast. You have to you have to just come out with a hi. How are you doing? It's like that was a little that was a little bit quieter than we expected, but yeah, it's it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Is that better? <laughs> it's better. Yes, it, uh, it's a pleasure to have you two here. Um, in fact, uh, I was uh, the last the first. I I was telling you guys when we were getting set up here. It's a little bit interesting to have a, a husband and wife team uh, mm-hmm. that records a podcast, let alone a podcast about giant monsters. Because the trend these days is just two best friends talking about movies, and having a husband and wife team behind a podcast is like a super interesting dynamic. So that's one of the main one of the reasons why we want to have you guys on. And uh, Robert, I was able to. Listen Listen to your episode with uh, our friend Brandon at the Fake Nerds podcast on his conversation on his conversation podcast, and I just I thought your story was super interesting, and uh, uh, we wanted to have you guys on for one of our spooky episodes since this, since this is spooky season. Yes. Uh, so I want to give you guys the floor, and I'm going to stop talking, <laughs> and I want to I want you to tell the listeners that may not be familiar with you guys who you are, what you do, and uh, how you got to the how you got to the place you are with uh, with podcasting? So uh, I'm Robert Kelly. I'm the host and writer of Record All Monsters, and with me uh, is my wife Courtney. Hi, Courtney uh, does a lot of behind the scenes stuff for me. She keeps me on on task. Yes, I'm kind of the face of the podcast, and as we've gone on in our first season, um. Courtney has come more to the forefront doing things like reading the mail off. <laughs> uh, she even did an outro when I had a cold once. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had already done the re- I'd already done the interview for the podcast. I'd already done the the essay portion, and I just couldn't. I might lost mm-hmm. my voice completely, and she just came off and read my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I basically make sure he remembers to um, to record his intros and outros and edit edit yes. <laughs> um, I have forgotten to edit twice, and I just put the raw material into the position and said I'll edit it later. And then the day came and it sure. went up and yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, and I also read over his essays first. And that's kind of the first thing that he did was he wrote just essays about the monsters, like just for fun. When we were, well, I did it when we were, uh, I guess, furloughed from work. It was for when we were quarantined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. I've always loved giant monster movies since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's what I was doing because Courtney was actually still going in for a few into the office yeah. for a few days and I was at home. And uh, so I was watching giant monster movies. And one time I watched King Kong and I was like, 
you know, I just watched a couple of these other movies and they kind of connected in this way. They had the thoughts and I wrote them down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, sure. I wanted to, sh- I was very proud of that little five page essay. And so I was like reading it to people <laughs> and I was thinking, well, you know, I've wanted to do a podcast for a while and I don't think there's anything I know as much about as giant monster movies. Uh-huh. Uh, so I really encouraged him to start the podcast because it's something that he's so passionate about. And I know he wanted to use it to like connect with other fans of giant monster movies and just kind of share that love of not just um, monster movies, but also just like film history in general. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, Robert, you're going through an interesting series on your podcast where you're going through, I believe, chapter by chapter or breaking it up into portions, the King Kong novel, correct? Yes, we're, we're reading it chapter by chapter. So for those who don't know, uh, to promote the fact that King Kong was coming out, RKO Pictures mm-hmm. commissioned a movie novelization like they do today, but movie culture was so different. There, no one was worried about spoilers or whatever. So they released sure. it a full year in advance of the movie. Wow, okay. Um. And RKO and Marion C. Cooper weren't too concerned about the novelization because it was just a, it was like worrying about a poster because it was just promotional material. So that fell into the public domain a long time ago. I want to say in the Mm sixties. Um, and we do record all monsters and seasons, but I'm also keenly aware of how podcast metrics work. And I know that, disappearing for 12 weeks from the feed will drive away uh even regular listeners so during the hiatus i needed to do something that was uh a little less effort but still mm-hmm. entertaining right well he's working on the next season <laughs> yes because i've i've for those i should have started with this probably the way record all monsters works because it's a three-piece show. I was about to say three-piece suit. That's a very different thing. (laughs) Um, Record All Monsters is a three-piece show. I almost did it again. Uh It's uh, it begins with a short essay on the history of the movie in the context of other giant monster movies. Mm -hmm. And it's followed by an interview uh, with someone someone who's a friend of ours who hasn't seen the movie sometimes uh mm-hmm. someone we know who's super into the particular movie uh we've had special guests uh John LeMay the author of the big book of Japanese giant monster movies has been on several times oh John's a lovely person and he's actually, John's a wonderful he person he is he's yeah. just wonderful and he's actually going to be on our season premiere as well Okay. Um, well, we're, we'll be talking about Ibira Horror of the Deep. Uh, we've had Derek M. Cook from Monster Kid Radio on a couple times, and we've been over on his show. Um, but so I try and pick guests who either have something to say about that movie, or if it's not right. someone from like within the giant monster or monster community horror movie community online 
someone in my personal mm-hmm. life who I think would enjoy this the movie I'm going to be talking about. Sure. So there's a bl- a blend of guests. Uh, one of my favorite episodes that we did was on the original Mothra because we we also we go in chronological order, telling it kind of like a, it's its own story. You can still listen to the shows out of order just if you want to know about that movie, but if you're sure. going over the whole thing, you may wonder why in a, for example, um, our episode on King Kong versus Godzilla, why we start the Willis O'Brien biography sure. uh, after Son of Kong came out. <laughs> it's because we covered that part of his biography in the first King Kong episode. And then after that, we play a little, a strange little game with our, our guest Mm -hmm. that changes from episode to episode, but essentially is unrelated or technically related trivia. Okay. So (laughs) one, one very good example is we did the movie Conga. Oh, yeah. And, okay. Uh, Conga stars Michael Goff, who's right. probably most famous for playing Alfred in the uh, Tim Burton Batman movies. Mm-hmm. So the trivia for that episode was, are these outlandish Batman stories actually from the Batman comics or did I make them up? <laughs> Okay. So it, it's it's a tangent. It's barely related. <laughs> uh, and I like that to come out of left field. Uh, a lot of times people who agreed to come on the show and read the outline that I sent them but hadn't listened to an episode before were very taken aback by the lack of uh, – how they weren't prepared for the game show. They were like looking at behind the scenes <laughs> trivia for whatever movie we were talking about. Uh-huh. Had nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. They were they were a little bit off, they were a little bit taken aback by the on the fly nature of the of the yes. game. Which it's it's okay. not on the fl- which you're right. It it seem it feels like that in the show and that's what I'm going for, but I researched <laughs> the game show and the essay meticulously. Right. Uh and like if I have doubts about the veracity of a question, even if it's a good question and I wrote a good joke around it, I'm going to throw it out because I, I'm not trying to make people look dumb. I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me ask, let me, let me ask, uh, let me ask Courtney here. What, um, What's been your what's been your favorite part of the experience in working on your on working with your husband on on the podcast and getting to meet all of these different different people? I think my favorite part is um just watching all the movies with our friends. Um Sure. I mean, got to love that. Uh Right. And also just seeing how excited Robert gets and um, how all the work that he puts into it kind of and ends up into that final product. And it's really cool to see it 
go from like just like one sort of intro paragraph to like a full essay to what we end up putting on the podcast. So it's it's really cool to see that. I've never really been a part of something like that. So it's yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic whenever you start podcasting. Uh, because for me, I started podcasting in uh, uh, early 2020, well, late 2019, early 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just a way for me to connect with people because, you know, things were getting a little bit chaotic in the real world. Mm-hmm. So uh, podcasting was a way for me to connect with people of the same interest because, you know, I come I come from a very small town and I was probably the only giant monster fan. Well, I was probably the only Godzilla fan or the only giant monster fan in my area. Um, uh, my family wasn't super into it. I was the, probably the biggest nerd in my family, honestly. Um, so it was just a way for me to connect with folks. And so I, I get it. I, I, I totally get it. It's, it's always a fun dynamic. Um, when you can sit down with a group of friends and, and expose them to a film or a genre that maybe they're not used to. Mm -hmm. Um, I was showing, uh, I was showing a a, a friend of mine, uh, the original Godzilla once, Mm -hmm. uh, this has been a few months ago and he was never into foreign films and he thought he, I won't say that he liked it, but he found it interesting. And I, you know, honestly, I'll take it. (laughs) <laughs> if he at least if he at least found it interesting i'll I'll take it so no so, I, so yeah i mean i get that uh i talked a little bit about it with with brandon on conversation which by the way uh you and travis both had wonderful episodes there thank you wonderful thank you oh brandon's brandon's a wonderful person he like is. we really enjoyed our time we really enjoyed our time on the on the podcast and uh i know that uh, the com- at least the conversation I had with Brandon went a little bit deeper than I expected it to, but Likewise. Brandon is yeah. such a, yeah, for sure. I listened to your episode. I really enjoyed it. In fact, your, like I said, your episode was the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast because your story just sounded, you know, super interesting. Um, but I, th- I think I, I like conversations like that. Uh, it's, I like conversations that go, that go beyond, just talking about a film like we're going to do, we're going to do in just a few minutes, but um, you know, digging a little bit deeper with folks and getting to know and build a rapport with folks within the same niche or the same genre as you or enjoy the same niche and the same genres as you. Yeah. And so Um, like for me, this has just opened my eyes. Like even when I talked again, a little bit about it on conversation, I, when I was a kid, there were no really no Godzilla fans around me. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're we're from Texas and we're from a small German town <laughs> in South Texas. And I'm very visibly Hispanic already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, sure. there were a lot of things setting me aside <laughs> when I was growing up. So the fact that I didn't share any common interests with anyone just really helped that, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> but so – when I got older and I found out that there was like a Godzilla community online, mm-hmm. that was such a big rev- revelatory moment. And then mm-hmm. when I started doing this show and started reaching out to people about, uh, you know, if they could want it to be on it, if they would be able to help me do the thing or two, uh, I brought up Derek from monster kid radio earlier. Sure. Uh, 
the man is a saint. Uh, <laughs> he's been so kind and helpful. Uh, Chris from Gargantu Cast has also been wonderful to work with. We had him on one episode, uh, and he, I think he wrote an article for Kaiju Ramen, uh, the second issue. He did. Yes, he. I think he's written. Well, he wrote. Uh, he wrote. He wrote one article in our inaugural issue, and he's actually got another article coming up in issue. Uh, yeah, in issue four, wow. the next, the one that's going to be coming out in the next month or so. Um, um, so yeah, it's, we're he, looking he forward. We, also we really like working with kind Chris. and helpful. Uh, say that again. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. He, he's also no, really kind and helpful. Uh, when I was oh, getting is. started, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I just had a hundred questions about, you know, how do I, how do I do this basically? And also how do I do this without, you know, stepping on anybody's toes? Um, and he was, excuse me, and he was just so kind. Um, yeah. So I'm really grateful to everyone who who helped me, you know, put this together. And just having this idea, first, that there's this whole world of people on the, around the, around the globe, I'm trying not to repeat myself with words, um, who are not only into this stuff, and then I start uh, working as a creator in it. And everyone is mm. so easy to work with. Mm. It's uh, it's great. I love it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll ask you guys one last question, and then I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guys. I'll save. We'll save all the shameless plugs towards the end because <laughs> I want people to stick around yes. and actually <laughs> listen to the film discussion. Uh, and then afterwards, I'll let you guys have the floor back and you guys can plug whatever you guys want to be, whatever you guys want to plug. But um, this can be this can be a question for either one of you. What's what's been the what's been the most meaningful part about doing the podcast together or what's been the most meaningful part about, uh, you know, doing going down this journey of, of podcasting in general? I'll let you go first. Um, one of the things is. Just spending time together and sure. um it's it's really nice because you kind of slow down a little bit from work and then you come home and it's we also work together by the way <laughs> oh wow okay <laughs> <laughs> but we don't work in like the same departments or anything we barely see each other there but we run into each other throughout the day and it's like, Hey, I know you. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's nice to come home and then we have that to look forward to as well. So like all day okay. yesterday, cause we rewatched the thing yesterday mm -hmm. all day yesterday. We were like, Hey, when we get home, we get to watch the thing. <laughs> um, Love it. And for me, you know, I, I really, I started the show to share my experiences as a fan of these movies and just these movies themselves with people. And the first sure. Courtney's really the first person I share them with. Um, and that makes me happy because, and how she reacts to them, even the ones she doesn't like so much, <laughs> just the fact that she's willing to tell me that in a way that's, uh, kind <laughs> because uh i with the girl one of the girls i dated in high school 
she hated that I loved monster movies so much. She hated it. And it was actually one of the reasons we broke up. It was not the main reason, but it was just like in the in the con column for her. Like, well, you know, <laughs> you always are watching these monster movies. Like and no. we can watch something else. And so with with Courtney, when I'm like, hey, uh, I love Godzilla and I watch several monster movies a week if I watch <laughs> any movies. And I was like, um, I saw the Godzilla, was it 2014? Mm-hmm. I saw that in the theater mm-hmm. like four or five times. So... <laughs> <laughs> By wait by choice or because yeah. he drug you along? Oh, we we went together in 2014. Yeah, so that's why I was like, I okay, I, I'll go and see these things by myself, which is what I had to do okay. for some of that time. So. All right, it's like right. like there. I was I was leaving uh, town when Pacific Rim came out. I was moving. It's a whole other story, but. Uh, <laughs> All my friends were like, Robert, you like giant monster movies. Let's let me take you to see this movie before you leave town. Like just something we can do together. So because of that, I wound up seeing Pacific Rim in theaters 10 times. Wow. Okay. Like five times on my own. And then five times people were like, hey, hey, let's let's go see this monster movie with you, Robert, because you're leaving. We'll miss you. And this is something that makes us think of you. So it's just always been monsters all the time. And to be able to share that on this scale, Mm. you know, through the podcast and then intimately with Courtney, that's what Mm. I love the most about it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's excellent. I, yeah, that's excellent. Congratulations, guys. Uh, It's it's (laughs) rare. I I feel like, I feel like it's rare uh, to find like, I don't know if I believe in soulmates, but uh, if to find someone you are compatible with that also shares the same interests as you <laughs> and you guys have such a good dynamic, you guys have such a great dynamic and yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's been a pleasure listening to both of you. So thank you. Um, Anyway, audio listener, that you may have noticed that this is a little mm. bit of a different format than what you guys may used to, but I did want to spend some time with our guests and let them talk and let them share their story. I feel like that's important. Uh, but we are here to talk about a very specific topic, and since it is spooky season, uh, I can think of no better topic than to talk about today but as per the usual we always like to ask a trivia question that leads into uh the topic or into the film that we're going to be talking about today and the trivia question we asked online was the original 1950s version of the night of of this 1982 john carpenter classic can be seen playing on tv in carpenter's 1978 breakout slasher halloween and so we thought that question was pretty appropriate and we got a few interesting answers and i'm going to go through these as quickly as we possibly can uh our friends over at uh giant monster bs uh, aka only in amityville they said i can't think of of what it's called (laughs) nice 
I mean, I, I mean, it's it's one of the more clever answers that they've given us, of course. <laughs> uh, great, great job, guys. Uh, our friend Crystal Lady Jessica says Mothra versus the Thing. Close, <laughs> but not quite. Not quite. Uh, our friend Nathan Marchand or Nathan Marchand uh, says Escape from Fort Wayne. <laughs> mm, I mean, would anyone want to live in Fort Wayne to begin with? I don't know. It's just that's the that's a question we all ha- we have to ask I ourselves. Think the real question uh, is: Does anyone live in Fort Wayne? <laughs> Apparently, people do. <laughs> Apparently, people live in Fort Wayne. Who knows? Uh, our friend uh, over in Germany, Chris Degel, uh, Chris Degelman says, "I think Godzilla for I think Godzilla fourth this one, 1964 movie." Uh, <laughs> I hope that was a typo, and I just didn't read that really weirdly uh sorry chris if i did love you man uh madison russell uh the thing from another world which i think is the alternate title to the 1950s version it is if i'm not mistaken you are not okay uh the henshin men podcast which is uh travis my co-host travis's uh other podcast that he likes to talk about a uh, common writer and other henshin heroes uh big trouble in little angel grove appropriate because <laughs> we just put out an ep- they just put out an episode where i was on there and we talked about the original pilot for power rangers so that was a lot of fun um our friend Elijah at Kaiju, at Kaiju Conversation says, "Nipping from Yeti." <laughs> Thank you, Elijah. We're you're never going to let that go, are you? Okay. Um, uh, Kevin Dewayne, I or Dewan. I hope I'm saying your name right. If I'm not, please uh, just send your complaints to Travis. Don't send them to me. <laughs> um, I think it's an Ezeki. I hope I hope I said that right. I hope it, I think it's an Ezeki that time I got reincarnated as the Oogie as the <laughs> Oogie Moogly from a different star system. Hey, I'd watch that movie. Yes. Not gonna lie. Uh and then finally, uh the correct answer came in from G Connor Salter on Twitter, and he answers the thing. So yes, we are talking about the 1982 classic uh John carpenters the thing and it stars kurt russell wilford brimley tk carter david clennon keith david richard dystart charles hal i hope i hope i'm gonna butcher this last name hallahan oh maybe i didn't uh peter maloney richard masseur uh donald moffat donald moffat Muffet. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Joel Paulus, Thomas G. Wa- jo- Thomas G. Waits, uh, Norbert Weiser, Larry Fraco, Nate Irwin, William, and uh, William Zimmon as the pilot. Um, and the let me pull up a good old IMDb here. The plot breakdown for this film is simply a research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. So, Robert, Courtney, the -hmm. thing, what do you guys think about this movie? Opening thoughts. I love it. It's so fun. And it's, it's just like the perfect spooky season movie you guys are 
on the nose with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. We agree. Yeah, it is actually a really good spooky season movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I love it. And you may have noticed a strange tone in my voice there. <laughs> uh, I love it. There was a weird inflection there, Robert. Are, are you <laughs> yes, sure? That's because are, you sh- a- are you sure you mean it? There is a butt coming. Um, <laughs> I love it. I think it's a pretty overrated movie. No, but I love it, and I have very few interesting. I just okay. think that people assign it more significance than it deserves. Interesting. Interesting. Pretty unique. Okay. Though. But see, I. So I I, re, I love John Carpenter's early stuff, which okay. I feel like it culminates here. And I think this might be his masterpiece, maybe. Mm-hmm. Again, that's uh, <laughs> I I know I know it sounds strange that I'm giving it this high praise, but I'm also like, but <laughs> um, I I think. It's it's given more weight than it has, especially. I I almost feel like fans of this movie, which I am one, are trying to make up for its rotten critical initial critical reception. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think it's probably John Carpenter's best movie. I think its failure really deflated him, and everything he did afterward feels so much safer. Hmm. Even like bonkers stuff like Mouth of Madness and Cowboys, Vampires, or Vampires, I think it's just called. Oh, yeah. Just feels like any time it could go up to 100, it decides to stay down at like 75. Because I mean, this one, this movie does feel like uh, Carpenter's sort of magnum opus. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, it, there's no question like and i'm a big fan of this movie i watched mm-hmm. this not just during halloween season but i watch this movie throughout the year yes I, I enjoy it i've shown this movie to several people in fact uh i covered i uh a few months ago i think it was i covered this movie with uh another friend of the podcast henry from it came from a monster movie podcast and he invited me and and Alex from Monsters vs. Men on, and we watched this movie together. and And I had a lot of fun with it. It had been probably been a couple of years since I watched it, though. Um, and I had a ton of fun with it. And I can see where I can see its problems, but I tend to overlook its problems simply because of the special effects and the mass and just the the overall suspense of the movie. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. so good. They're so good. Everything oh. everything about it is so good. And again, I know I gave it a bunch of caveats and a bunch of mixed high praise. But I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I just Court, Courtney can testify. I'm super critical of a lot of movies I love. <laughs> uh I love just how unsettling everything is in it like it throws you in right away to the action and you're like why is he trying to hit that dog i don't understand um but you're kind of put into that um that dog's point of view 
So when you Mm -hmm. find out what the dog is, it's sort of like a bait and switch. Like you're like, oh, we're kind of seeing things from this like dog point of view to begin with, if that makes any sense. No, I think it makes perfect sense. I think it makes perfect sense because the first, I mean, the first, I'd say probably like 15 minutes of the movie, you do get things. The the film does focus squarely on the dog Mm -hmm. and you're like, what is wrong with this dog? (laughs) And, um, if you're not familiar with the, if this is, if you've never watched this movie before, the opening sequence of the opening, like five minutes of the movie where, um, uh, the Swedish pilot is trying to shoot this dog. You would, you would assume that, Oh, he's just trying to kill a wolf you know, mm-hmm. or he's just trying to kill, you know, he's just trying to kill a wild dog or something. Mm-hmm. But then it, it's, it's later on revealed that the dog makes it back to camp and he greets his owner. And you're, then you're left wondering why the heck is this dude trying to kill this guy's dog? Like what did this dog do to him? Yes. Um, <laughs> and then the first like few minutes of, and then the first like 15, 20 minutes of the movie focuses really squarely in on the dog and it builds up that suspense and it builds that mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it leads you to wonder, was there something wrong with that dog to begin with? Mm-hmm. Or did the man or was the man in the, in the helicopter just really delusional because maybe dogs in his camp had been infected by the thing, mm-hmm. you know, prior to. Mm-hmm. Well, and one thing I think about that scene, because when the the film opens, like the very first thing you see, of course, is the UFO and then the title. But mm. when we're on Earth, the first thing you see is the dog running. Mm-hmm. So like Courtney said, it gives you his perspective right away staring out the window and we see him like underneath the table and one thing i think that's really effective in starting that way with the dog's perspective is you're all of a sudden as soon as you find out even an inkling of what's going on because you related subconsciously to the thing that brought the alien into the camp you're uneasy you're on edge because you the movie's already tricked you Mm -hmm. right so good (laughs) um no it is go uh, ahead there's a part where one of them asks another one what was it what was he doing all day about the dog (laughs) and the guy's just like i don't know just wandering around the rec room in the camp he was casing the joint (laughs) uh That's exactly what he was doing yes. um, because it's not even phew, God. five minutes later. It's revealed that the dog is just this really just is really just a, uh, a clone, mm-hmm. a symbiotic clone. I don't even know. Could you call it a symbiote? I don't Maybe? think so. Cause I guess you could call yeah. it takes it over. Yeah. Like it doesn't live in harmony with it. It kills parasitic, <clears throat> but it's, it's just the whole, the whole, um, idea of how it breaks things down is really interesting because it looks like in my notes i called it the thing dog Uh (laughs) the evil thing dog corpse with the tentacles it's like an animal but then it has that like kind of corpse flower opening and it dissolves 
the um, organism that it's trying to project, basically, mm-hmm. which is kind of a plant thing, isn't it? Well, it, it doesn't really get into it, but there's always this like green mucus stuff mm-hmm. whenever we see it. Like when Wilford Brimley cuts the crunchy dog monster, which is what I call it, <laughs> open. Um, he stops when there's like this green mass mm-hmm. and he just makes this disgusted noise. And then later when what's his name? Uh, the only names I remember are Mac Childs and Windows. Hmm. I don't remember anyone else's names. <laughs> Wilfred Brimley is Wilfred Brimley. Yes. Um, Diabetes. Yes. That's a, that's a... Yes. <laughs> We made so we made too many diabetes uh, jokes when we were watching. In, <laughs> in like, my you better note, check your blood sugar because oh, this is what happens. Oh yes, <laughs> I put the charred creature does not have the diabetes, according to Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> uh, <laughs> autopsy shows that this does not have the diabetes. <laughs> um. When that that other guy who gets the head monster, uh, who who turns into the little head monster crawling oh, thing, so so unsettling. When when he separates, oh, that's terribly unsettling. When he separates his head, there is that same kind of green mucusy slime as there was at the center of the the crunchy dog monster. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just, this is the first time watching it that I connected that. And with Courtney's little theory about like the flower opening, the vegetation, that makes me wonder a little bit more about the makeup of of the thing itself. Mm-hmm. It was really, um, the the way I, the, be, the best way I know how to describe that flower opening, it, kind of, it actually kind of reminded me of, to tie it back to a genre that, you know, we're all kind of familiar with is, mm-hmm. is Orga that mm. when, when, or, when, when Orga tries to evolve uh, and consume Godzilla, mm-hmm. it's what, what it uses is this big, it, it opens up and it's this massive like net. Yeah, they're like flesh petals. This flesh petal. Yeah. The flesh petals, the, the fleshy membrane that's just trying to absorb uh, similar to, I guess, similar to a, uh, what is the plant? that just like more like a maybe like a venus flytrap yeah. or uh or what a is pitcher the, plant. the a pitcher plant i think that may be what i'm thinking of yeah. sort of like a pitcher plant that just kind of dissolves its prey mm-hmm. uh but the thing about but the difference is it absorbs its prey to try to evolve into it to try to mimic it and what's really unsettling about it is it eventually after you know after numerous tries it eventually succeeds Mm -hmm. and then that's where the the mystery comes in and i think that one of the the biggest like one of the most intriguing parts about this movie uh is the sort of whodunit mystery because it is uh it, it, it it's sci- it's hard sci-fi it's a little bit of fantasy it's a little bit of a crime drama and it's mm-hmm. also like a whodunit film mm-hmm. because um after the dog scene if i'm not mistaken i think it's after the dog scene oh no i'm sorry i think it's after um uh i think it's bennings 
uh, when they're out in the ice and then it's revealed that Bennings is the thing. Hmm. And then probably for me, like uh, uh, Courtney, as unsettling as the dog was for you, probably mm-hmm. the most unsettling thing was uh, when it when it absorbed Bennings or tried to transform yes. into Bennings. And it almost accomplished it, mm-hmm. except for you could see that it, you could see those were not human hands. Yes. And it's revealed that, oh, that's the thing. Oh. And it lets out this god awful noise. Yes, that uh, that's my yeah, favorite that part scared- of the movie. Really? Okay. Uh, just, I mean, it scared the hell out of my cats. I know that. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the movie. Again, I, I love when John Carpenter lets himself get weird. Um, like my favorite movie of his is probably The Fog. And that scene with that guy who's – and the way – with, with, with Bennings and the way the camera – just kind of slowly shows you his hands and they come up Mm -hmm. like he lifts them to meet where the camera's eye is going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. You bring up, you bring up, you brought up Orga. I'd never connected that, but yeah, that, Oh, that mouth opening like that. And the hands too. Yeah. Match that whole aesthetic. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it predates, of course, this movie of predates course, that movie, predates Godzilla 2000. But, and I'm not saying that John Carpenter, or I'm not saying that, you know, the people behind Godzilla 2000 watched the thing and were inspired by it. But it's, it's just an interesting correlation that I was mm-hmm. trying to make oh, for people it, that it really is. Um, I love it. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, on this show, we try to do something called a positivity sandwich where we start with our positives. We sprinkle in those, we bring, we sprinkle in some of our negatives and then we circle back on our positives. So I want to start with Courtney. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Courtney, you obviously like this movie. Oh yeah. You, 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 you jumped at the chance to come on and talk about it. You Mm and uh, you and your husband. So what are, but what are some things that you sort of didn't like about it? Um, well, it would have been great if there were women at this, uh, (laughs) this, um, research facility, like Mm -hmm. there aren't any in the entire movie. Um, but that's really like my only, my only like bad note, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. and I haven't seen the prequel one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but it's definitely on my list of to see movies now. Mm-hmm. Like, like after watching this again, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that there was that prequel. Um, mm-hmm. But that's really the only thing. And then um, uh, when um, for a while, it seemed like Kurt Russell didn't, really want to be there and he was like he says something like um i'm tired of talking i just want to go back to my shack and get drunk and i wrote that's literally what you've been doing the entire time we've seen you kurt russell <laughs> but it's i okay. mean you're not wrong yes <laughs> it's he's been doing that the entire time but we we love him for it it's okay <laughs> I, I think one of the critical reviews for it back in the day when it came out uh was that it wasn't much more than a good commercial for j and b scott 
<laughs> well, maybe, maybe, because yeah. um, there is, there is a lot of product placement. A lot of we'll close-ups on the bottle. Movie. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. You know. It, it, okay. I mean, that's fine. You know, if you like, if you like, if you like J and B Scotch, that's fine. Uh, but there is, but I, I think I'm, I think I'm with Courtney. There is, there are moments in this movie where I feel like. Kurt Russell maybe phoned in the performance <laughs> or just, or just something. It's yeah. just like there were like, he, he didn't start becoming an interesting character to me mm-hmm. until, Oh, about halfway through the film mm-hmm. where they're now accusing him yes. of being the thing exactly. and he's holding the, yeah, he's holding the dynamite and he's threatening to blow them up. If they don't, you know, get this sort, if they don't get this sorted out, um, I think that's where that's where Kurt that's where his character started to really feel right yes. to me in that in that desperation moment, mm-hmm. and I kind of wish that we had gotten more of that throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. The yes. rest, the rest, what we get, what we're presented with is just this nonchalant, like you know, whatever. I'm just going to sit here and get drunk and play chess on this <laughs> computer, and then. And then just, just leave me alone, people. Like, uh, it, it makes me wonder, what do they, what, like, I, I'm left wondering throughout this whole thing, how th- throughout this whole movie, what do they actually do? Yes. Out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, maybe the prequel explains that, but I don't think that they explained it very well, what they're actually out there trying to do. Yeah, that's definitely, I was, I put, do all Antarctic research facilities have flamethrowers? <laughs> <laughs> because that's that seems like if they had a flamethrower they went in expecting something potentially oh yeah i'd imagine oh, it polar was, bears yeah <laughs> i'd imagine it was there like oh no the the metal door has frozen shut we need uh, to heat it superheat it or something ah uh, right gotcha um <laughs> i i know i kind of touched on some of my negatives already but i want to point out that very few of them had to do with the film itself and more with the legacy around it i think this film is in actuality uh, a damn near perfect and my only issues my only real issue with anything in the movie is the same as y'all's like they try so hard at the beginning to give Kurt Russell the nonchalant macho character thing. It's when it starts cracking that he, yeah, that's when he becomes interesting is when the, the facade drops. One other thing. Go go ahead, Courtney. I just, I have one other thing. Sure. When they are doing the blood (laughs) test, they uh-huh. use the same knife on everyone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And would that not have given Contaminated all everyone? of them? That like, would have. Your, I think you're correct. That would have cross contaminated everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I. I. We watch a lot of The Simpsons too. And <laughs> there's there's an episode where the, this Doctor Nick character is a. Uh, being accused of malpractice and one of the charges is using a knife and fork from a seafood restaurant to perform perform surgery 
And his rebuttal is, what, I clean them with my napkin? And when Courtney brought that up, that's what I said. But I clean them with my napkin. Uh, yeah, I was like, how did I not notice this before? It's okay, though. I still love it. I honestly didn't notice that. Um, I didn't quite. I didn't quite notice it. Maybe because I knew that that part of the film was coming. I knew mm-hmm. the blood test. The blood test scene, which really, in if you think about it, is sort of a really interesting way to handle it. Uh, and it, it does build a good amount of suspense because you you keep waiting for because mm-hmm. in your mind at this point you kind of you kind of think who is the thing. Mm-hmm. And it subverts expectations, honestly. Um, and his character, his, the name of his character actually escapes me at the moment. I'd have to look at, I'd have to uh, kind of look him up. I think it was Palmer, if I'm not mistaken, Palmer. I honestly thought he was the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, uh, was it window? Or was it? No, it wasn't windows. Um, oh God. What was his name? Um, uh, Fuchs. Was it, was it Fuchs? I think it was Fuchs at that point. Was it Fuchs? Okay. Uh, I, I thought it was like for me, I didn't think, I didn't expect it to be Fuchs. I thought it was going to be uh, Palmer or, uh, or Gary. Uh, yeah. The, the doc, the, the doctor. Yes. yes. Yeah. The doctor. That was, that was so that, that scene. The first time I saw it, I remember the first time I saw this movie, I watched it with my dad when my mom and sisters were out of town for some reason. And uh, he was just like, Robert, you're going to love this. <laughs> and I did, but it, it also terrified me. And that scene <laughs> scared me the most as a kid because uh-huh. I was just completely fooled, completely mm-hmm. fooled. I, I, I went into that scene, a total chump. If, if, I was a guy on the boardwalk and that scene of the movie where a carnival barker, it would have taken every cent I had. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, there's just, there's just so much, there's not a whole lot of negative things I can say about it. I mean, I don't particularly, do, I don't particularly agree Robert with you, the saying that this is an overrated movie. It may be, um, it may be over glorified over the years because like I said, it does have its like, just like any movie from the 1980s, it does have its problems. It does have its kind of plot. It does have its plot holes, which, which one of which Courtney just pointed out, uh, the, the knife, the cross contamination, um, <laughs> but he cleaned them with his over- napkin. But he cleaned it. Yes, he cleaned it. Like, did they like they have all like they did he did they clean it with maybe they used that bottle of scotch that they've been drinking on this whole time. <laughs> yes. Maybe they maybe he used the bottle of scotch that he'd been sipping on uh this whole movie to sterilize the uh to sterilize the knife. I don't know. Um but that is sort of a I feel like that is sort of a uh a little bit of a plot hole that I'm sure a lot of a lot of people miss, but um, you know, like you said, Robert, this is pretty much a damn near perfect movie because it does have a little bit of something for everyone. You know, the, the sci-fi nerd gets, gets, it's mostly, it's mostly a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a, who it's a whodunit mystery. Um, and I think those play really well. Well, it's a very effective. Uh, where, movie. 
Oh, it is. It's a fantastic and horror movie. I think like this, your phrasing was better than mine. I, I used the word overrated, but I think maybe uh, overglorified, like you said, would be the better better term because it is a it's a great movie. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's one of those um, it's one of those horror movies that's that's incredibly rewatchable mm-hmm. because like like. Yeah, I know. Like Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, those very classic horror movies, Night of the Living Dead, those mm-hmm. are rewatchable because they're classics. Yeah. This is a classic. It's also rewatchable because it does such a brilliant job of building suspense mm-hmm. and keeping you guessing. I think uh, after w- knowing how this movie plays out, I was still on the edge of my seat mm-hmm. watching this film. Well, and it leaves a few unanswered questions as well, um, mm-hmm. which I think is it leaves so, a lot to it's so it leaves important. a lot up to interpretation. Yeah, and I think that's so important. I wish more movies did that uh, in general, because you know, getting all the answers is fine, but I mean, in life, you don't get all the answers. Uh, <laughs> for example. Once, uh, when Courtney and I were stopping at a gas station, a a tiny man in a fur vest started flirting with her. He had long blonde hair down to his shoulders and uh, no shirt and a fur vest, a white fur vest. Um... And he was shorter than her. He came up maybe to her shoulder. And I'm five two, so. Oh wow! And I'm six four. So he he was a wee little fella. He was tiny, and he's flirting with her. And I come up to him or to her, and I'm like, "Do did you get everything you need?" Because she's also clearly very uncomfortable. Uh, Yeah, I was like, "Why are you following me?" (laughs) (laughs) And he starts telling me about how he's a wrestler. And stuff. Okay. And so I was I was like, great. And we paid for our stuff and we left. And I bring this Good up for you, in, bro. as an example because we where did he come from? Yes. Like if this were a scene in a movie, people on the internet would be like, What was up with the tiny wrestler in the fur vest? <laughs> You know what? Sometimes yes. you don't know what's up with the tiny wrestler in the fur vest. Yes. He's just there. It was also summer yeah. in Texas, yes. by the way. It was like 103 degrees. <laughs> so there was probably a little bit of there was probably a little bit of heat stroke and delusion involved and, as well. Mayhaps. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, but I do love the fact that this movie does leave a lot up to interpretation, uh, especially the ending. Yes, uh, which is not your typical, um, which is not your typical hero's ending, mm-hmm. which I think works because it continues what this movie is. Uh, good at which is building suspense and keeping you guessing and it keeps you guessing towards the very end Mm -hmm. um the absolute very end because you don't know uh where you you don't know where childs has been Mm -hmm. for the last 
God knows how long. You know, he could be the thing. He Kurt Russell could be the thing. Mm-hmm. McGrady uh, could be the thing. Yeah. Uh, you you just don't know at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what this movie does so well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, another claim to fame for this movie, and a lot of and and for good reason, people gush over this movie is, of course, the 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 special effects and oh, the body God. horror yes. and so much there's just so much going on that is incredibly unsettling and incredibly beautiful at the same time beautiful in the fact that um it's the artistry behind <laughs> the uh the behind the special effects i i i wound up saying under my breath beautiful yeah a bunch of times i I have this problem where I've seen too many horror movies. Um, mm-hmm. I'm problem. I'm, well, I'm pretty desensitized, is why it's a problem. Um, no, I get where I get where he's coming from. I get where he's coming from. We, uh, when we go see a horror movie, a new horror movie in the theater, when a scare is effective for me, I don't jump back. I lean forward because I'm like, oh, this is doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, right, and there are several moments throughout this movie, especially when like, like you hear the bones cracking when the dog is, when it's giving up being a dog, or trying mm-hmm. to get the other dogs all mashed into it or whatever it's doing, and that's just, that's amazing to me in terms of what the effects were that went into it, mm-hmm. how it looks, what the implications are for like how would a life form work that way? It's just, and then just the visual repulsive beauty of it. Oh man, I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, there is definitely a craft to it. And I think that uh, you were, I think you pointed on, I think you, you point, you alluded to something there, but you didn't follow up on it was when you're starting to talk about modern horror films mm-hmm. and to, and the reason why I don't like modern horror films is because they feel cheap mm-hmm. and not necessarily cheap in their special effects, but they're, but the cheap in the scares, yes. like they rely so heavily on, on jump scares mm-hmm. and, you know, just trying to just trying to subvert your subvert your eye or your expectations mm-hmm. they sometimes you know they'll do that instead of doing what this film does mm-hmm. and it builds you know proper suspense and it keeps you guessing uh i think a good horror movie um a good horror movie is effective when you are unsettled even when there's nothing happening. Yeah. Exactly. Like even even when there's nothing happening, there's no music cues. And one of the things that I noticed about this movie that there are that there were very few music cues in this movie. It is all just stillness and quiet and tension. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of it's a little frustrating for me because the score was the score was <laughs> Written by Ennio Morricone. Um, mm-hmm. I love Ennio Morricone, but he, very little of his score wound up in the movie. Uh, it did wind up in the Hateful Eight, you know, mm-hmm. thirty-five years later. But uh, I love his music so much, but I do not think 
it would have worked for this movie in the long run. And that hurts me to say because I love his music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we got was what we got was effective, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, what um, we got would work best, worked better. Yeah. I feel. But it it could have been it, it it could there could have been more to it in my opinion. If if I get if I wanted to, if I wanted to circle back and maybe tack on a little another negative, I guess if if you could call it really a negative, it's more like more of a nitpick than a negative. Um there could have been more to the music and there more there could have been more to the score. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it is so minimal in spots, I think works more so to its benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just covered a film. Uh, we just covered The Quiet Place, yes. uh, parts one and two. And both Travis and I love that movie. And uh, if I'm not, and both, um, and like this film, that movie knew how to build suspense. Mm-hmm. Um uh, especially with the with the daughter being deaf and mm-hmm. when she's out in the cornfield and you can you can see the monster the like you know the monster's there but she doesn't know because she's deaf and she can't hear it mm-hmm. um there's that interesting dynamic there's that, that interesting tension you know the thing um you know it 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 builds tension and it builds suspense in a different way mm-hmm. where it's 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 a it's a movie about paranoia yeah. Uh, you, you just never know where your enemy is going to be at any given mm-hmm. moment. And I think that's one of the reasons why this movie is just so effective. Everything you said was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so before we start, you know, kind of wrap, before we start trying to land a plane here, are there any more, any more, any, any more final thoughts before we get into our scoring? uh for for this movie what are we scoring this out of oh we are scoring this and i know this uh, this sounds so inappropriate considering the movie that we're covering (laughs) but we're scoring this out of five godzukis because as we like as we like to cover as we like to tell our listeners we like to embrace the sillier side that's part of of why i love you guys by the way, as the, of the monster movie genre. Thank you. Thank you so much. But for a film like this, it just feels so inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to be the one to say it one, because it's your show and two, because that's, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's yeah. It's we score that we score our films out of five God And yes, Courtney, you do have to sing it. Um, when you give your score, yes. when just, you give your score, yes. <laughs> so, um, we can start landing the plane here. Uh, I'll, st- Robert, I'll, I'll start with you this time. What are your, what are your final thoughts and your Godzuki score for the thing? I, I think, like I said, this movie is pretty close to perfect. There are a few things, uh, it would be nice if, uh, there were, was a woman in it at least one besides Adrian Barbeau's disembodied voice on the computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and it would also be nice if uh, people could put, when they talk about it, like I tried to do, put it more in perspective, but it's so good that it's hard to. Mm, for sure. uh, so I I will give it, Four and a half Godzukis. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Courtney, what are, what are your final thoughts and your Godzuki score for this movie? Final thoughts. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, I love the lighting in it. Like that oh, bright yeah. blue. Um, and it just like highlights the ice. And then you get those flashes of red in there occasionally. And it's just like chef's kiss perfection, I, in my I, opinion. I'm, I'm sorry, Courtney. Sorry. Um, John Carpenter has talked many times about being a student of Italian horror films. And uh, he always says that uh, Halloween was his Argento film. Mm-hmm. I think this was his Mario Bava film, ah, if that means anything to anyone. The giallo lighting. Yeah. Well, I mean, even Mario Bava got way out there. If that means anything to anyone, you're welcome. And if not, uh, look up Mario Bava and... <laughs> Uh, Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci. Uh, um, Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Another thing that I wanted to say was um, Wilfred Brimley has some really, really good acting in this movie. And um, he's a lot more physical than like... Ewok one- Adventure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from like caravan of courage (laughs) that's the other thing that i've seen him in we we didn't even talk about uh um um uh, we didn't really even talk about the cinematography in this movie oh it's gorgeous we we um I don't know why we totally glanced over it. We we had the perfect opportunity when we're talking when we're talking about the dog uh and those very low angles that put you in the pers- in the same perspective as as the as the dog and then just by the and then the way that the camera just kind of pans and moves through the hallways mm-hmm. of this compound <clears throat> Like, and it keeps you guessing this whole time. Like you think that something is going to pop out from behind the corner, but it never does because this movie does not rely on, for the most part, cheap jump scares to, mm-hmm. to suck you in. Um, but Courtney, go ahead and you got to give your, you got to give your Godzuki score. Uh, out of five, I give this five Godzukis. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Um, for me, this is just one of the, this is, this is a, this is the quintessential spooky season movie for me. Mm-hmm. I watch it, uh, not just during spooky season, but throughout the year. It's one of my favorite horror slash sci-fi slash, uh, whodunit films, uh, in existence. It, I, I think it deserves its accolades, mm-hmm. um, We've talked. We've talked a little bit about here how it may be slightly overrated or slightly glorified, slightly overglorified by its fan base. But for the most part, um, you know, this is this is quintessential John Carpenter. Uh, I think this is his magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like to your credit, Robert, you said it earlier in the episode, um, everything else after the thing feels um, maybe neutered. Or sterile. Yes, he's he's playing it safe because he got such a such a rough reaction from people for this one, and I wish they hadn't because, like we we, it's funny. I think we've kind of done a little trilogy over the past couple of weeks. We watched, uh, Halloween, The Fog, and this, mm-hmm. 
And it's just the weirdness amping up from movie to movie to movie. And then after that, it stops. And I just really, I've always wondered what he would have done if the thing had been a success. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural success. Yeah. I mean, if it had been financially successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pop. It's definitely a pop cultural success. Oh yeah. Um, I think this is one of those, this is one of those movies that did not find it's, it did not find its audience until a few years after it came out, because I think we talked about it. It wasn't received. It was not received quite as well as, as Carpenter was expecting it to be. And it took, it took a few years before audiences started to really appreciate this film. Well, and then even even though he was... You know, kind of hired as a mercenary by the studio that had been trying to do this for so long. The original Howard Hawks produced film was his favorite movie of all time. So he clearly put a lot of love into this. It clearly meant something to him. So, and I I think that reflects in the final product. Absolutely. 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 Well, that wraps up our discussion on John Carpenter's The Thing. If you, the audio listener, uh, the faithful Kaiju Weekly audio listener, uh, have any thoughts on this film, please go ahead and tweet at us at Kaiju Weekly. Uh, You can email us at kaijuweekly at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts on this movie. We always appreciate any kind of feedback. And And this movie actually also wraps up our uh we try to do themes every month but sometimes we're not super consistent so this this month's theme was uh space monster month uh maybe it should have been spooky season month i don't know yet uh i i lobbied for a little bit more horror movies myself but um (laughs) you know travis wanted to keep it within the the space theme uh for this month for spooky season and uh this has been a lot of fun and thank you guys for for coming on having this discussion with me Uh, but the episode is not quite over yet because we are going to be moving into our next segment of the episode and you guys know what that next segment is I should because I listen pretty much every week. I just listened to the message from space episode driving home from work. Well, just as a reminder, it is the mailbag. What's in the mail today? And for... For uh, this week's mailbag, it actually comes in from uh, my co-host, Travis. And since um, he he sent me this message earlier today, and since we've been kind of talking, since we were talking about the thing, and and the thing is such a hard sci-fi, hard, like very horrifying movie in a lot of ways, um, his mailbag question was a little bit more lighthearted. So Travis simply asks, which kaiju is the most friend shaped <laughs> the most friend shaped yes the most friend shaped and for anyone out there that doesn't not does not know exactly know exactly what that means uh which kaiju is the most cuddly i'm going to go i'm going to go for a deep cut here okay it's busca <laughs> Busca. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. What explain? Okay. So in 1966, 
this is the sort of stuff we get into on our show. Uh, 1966, uh, A.G. Tsuburaya, you know, he made Ultra Q and Ultraman, but he also made a show especially for kids called Friendly Monster Busca, which is about this 10-year-old inventor kid promises his pet iguana a hundred bowls, 300 bowls of ramen? Something like that. If he'll let this growth serum the kid invented affect him, because he tried it on the iguana once and it didn't work because he didn't want to grow. So he promises his iguana who loves ramen all the ramen he can eat if he'll let it work. And he agrees. And so he turns into this it's he's not he he looks nothing like an iguana yeah he looks kind of like a Mm. giraffe he looks like a teddy bear with giraffe spots and a crown and buck teeth okay and he's so lovable Mm -hmm. he's like if eiji subaraya did winnie the pooh (laughs) interesting okay so friendly monster busca will be my answer Mm -hmm. okay Interesting, interesting, Courtney. Uh, to you, which kaiju is the most friend-shaped? Um, to me, Minya because or Manila because okay. I just really love his character. I know a lot of people hate him, but I just want to give him a little hug. And also, when we're introduced to him in. Um, Godzilla's Revenge. Godzilla's Revenge. The first mm-hmm. thing he does is help Ichiro. So I'm definitely gonna say Minya. It was it was gonna be between Minya or Little Godzilla. So hey, come on over here. <laughs> Godzilla says you're not wrong. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm gonna be sort of in a. I'm gonna be similar. I'm gonna be in a similar vein as as you, Courtney. I'm gonna say not minya and not manila um but i'm gonna say baby godzilla from space godzilla because i just want to give that i just want to give that little chubby green monster a hug (laughs) yes uh uh my uh the one the one of the things one of the movies i used to uh could get i used to be i was able to get my ex-wife to watch with me was um uh, godzilla versus space godzilla only because of baby Godzilla being so adorable. Yes. So cute. <laughs> so so that's so thank you, Travis, uh, for that question. And if you want to be cool like Travis and send us a mailbag question, um, you can do so by tweeting at us at Kaiju Weekly on Twitter, uh, or you can email it to us at Kaiju Weekly at gmail.com. So guys, uh before we wrap up this episode. Uh, I want to give you guys the floor once again to do any kind of shameless plugs, uh, whatever, what you're into, not just with the podcast, but in your uh, creative lives. I know, uh, uh, Robert, you said you're a writer. So if there's anything that you want, if there's any works that you want to plug, uh, now's your chance. Well, um, I'm going to go off first and then I'll let Courtney go. Uh, not that I let her do things. <laughs> She does what such a gentleman. She does what she wants. Anyway, (laughs) um, 
first of all, you can contact us at uh, recordallmonsters.pod on Instagram. You can search Record All Monsters Podcast on Facebook. We come mm-hmm. right up. And on Twitter, we're at Monsters Record. Um, we also have an email address, which I will use now to bug you guys all the time uh, and leave mailbag <laughs> okay. questions. And that email address sure. is recordallmonsterspod at gmail.com. Um, I, I'm going to leave, use my, my answer to the mailbag question as a plug for a particular episode. We do specials every now and then, and we did a special on the television work of Eiji Tsuburaya, where we watched the first episode of Busca with our friend and language consultant, Henri Hata, Mm -hmm. who is a Japanese national who who lives around here. Mm -hmm. Um, and she, she, there were no subtitles, so she explained to us what happened. <laughs> um, she's great. She's wonderful. So check that one out. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's also in our podcast feed. Um, and I'll also, I, I alluded to uh, my friend Derek M. Cook, who does the podcast Monster Kid Radio. It's mm-hmm. very good. Uh, he was he was so helpful to me, and he was a bit of an inspiration. The eventual shape record all monsters took. So check that out too if you have the time. But check us out first and buy a t-shirt. Buy a t-shirt. We got t-shirts. <laughs> oh, nice! You got a you got. I'm assuming you have a T Public store. We have a T Public store, and uh, awesome. Uh, we I do a lot of dumb designs in in like Photoshop and Canva, but the best design we have is our. Uh, our logo was designed by an artist friend of ours, Nathaniel Ross Smith, who's been a guest on the show a few times. Um, sure. And he's a, a brilliant retro artist. Uh, he does a lot of stuff like like Tiki themed stuff, but he does it horror. It's Tiki influenced, but with like horror subjects. He, I have an original of his. It's a summer Frankenstein having a, a cocktail on a desert island. Uh, okay. So oh, if I get. you're into monster stuff or retro stuff, check out Nathaniel Ross Smith too. Oh, and I now get. it's Courtney's oh, turn. Actually, yeah, or, go ahead, Courtney. <laughs> um, all, all the, the only thing I was going to say was I like your guys's podcast art. It reminds me, uh, it's very, it's like 1970s. Uh, this is the best, the best comparison I can make. It's sort of 1970s advertising, sort of like Mad Men style. Yes. And I think that's why I like it. That was kind of the instructions I gave him. I was like, okay. I was like, what if, what if, uh, late fifties McDonald's made a Kaiju podcast? Uh, okay. I like it. (laughs) Um, and you can find me all the places that Robert just said. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, my public account is see my art stuff. It's C M E I S S art stuff all together. Um, some things that I have been loving lately. I'm reading a book. Um, I know we mentioned like in passing Pacific Rim, which is amazing. Um, 
if you like Pacific Rim and fighting robots, I'm reading a book called The Great Destroyers by Caroline Tung Richmond. It okay. is a um I I am a, a youth librarian and I read a ton of youth and like middle grade books and it's about um like an alternate cold war universe where there's this thing called the pax games that's kind of like the olympics but um they're just in giant robots and they beat each other up and it's amazing so far (laughs) that sounds fantastic so if if anybody is is into giant robots fighting each other and retro futurism I would check that out. Um, and uh, one other thing, podcast that I have been listening to a lot is Teen Creeps. It's if you like weird 80s and 90s pulp fiction, like Fear Street and that sort of thing. Christopher Pike. Christopher Pike, yeah. Um, okay. It's, um, it's, it's really fun and it's funny. So if you grew up reading those, like I did, um, it's, it's a fun podcast to check out. So now uh, Courtney, if I'm, if I caught you, you said you're an artist as well. Do you have uh, Um, have any art you want to plug? Yes. Um, I do a lot of like art journaling type stuff. Um, okay. But I'm um, co- continually working on um, just I, I love making art and I want to share it. And that's well, a lot of my stuff is abstract. I do make some representational things as well. So it's sure. it's I'm a big fan of collage art. So. OK. Is there anywhere on the internet people can see it or are you, you or do you do it just strictly for, for oh, as a creative um, outlet on, for yourself? On the Instagram. So see my art stuff okay. and that's, I okay. post things on there. I did a couple things for Drawloween um, and that's, that's been pretty fun looking through that hashtag. Sure. Well, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out, and I just want to again say thank you guys for coming on. I know it's uh, I know it's a little bit later than what we expected, but I really I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your uh, busy evening to have to just talk about a movie with me. It was it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, thank thank, thank you. you for well, actually, you know what? First of all, you're welcome. No, uh, thank you. <laughs> No, that's fair. I get it. It's fair. <laughs> no, we're so grateful that you asked us on. We really appreciate it. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of what you and Travis do with Kaiju Weekly mm-hmm. and with Kaiju Ramen, especially. Mm-hmm. I have. I need to buy the print issues. I've bought the digital ones and then printed them to read out of a Manila folder in my uh, spare time. <laughs> uh-huh. But I just need to buy. Good. Because uh, I've been buying the digital one and then printing it. <laughs> just need to buy the print issue. Um, but it's it's great to see some something 
from this community that I think reflects it a little better how yeah. it is now. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate you guys doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we appreciate it. Uh, it's a, it's a labor of love. Uh, it's and I, uh, I always tell people that when, when they ask me about the magazine, I said, that was, that was mainly Travis's baby. And he just kind of drug me along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of rewarding work. And we've met a lot. We have met so many tremendous people, uh, through that project and just through doing this podcast and you guys included. And again, I just, one more, one more time. I just want to thank you guys for coming on. And, uh, most importantly, I just want to thank you, the Kaiju weekly listener for listening to our podcast and sharing this podcast with your friends. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at Kaiju weekly, all the links to our social media, as well as the Kaiju groupie Facebook group are in, are listed in the description of this episode. You can send questions, comments, or answers to uh, the trivia question that will be posted this week, leading into next week's episode at uh, Kaiju weekly at gmail.com. A big thank you to uh, those who have supported Kaiju Rama magazine so far. If you want to find more about that project, just go on over to Kaiju magazine.com. We also want to thank Tyler Ward, Nathan Marchand, Alex Cornett, Damon Noyce, and Shijer for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to help support this podcast and get some nice bonus content like uh, advanced articles and sneak peeks into Kaiju Ramen, please head on over to patreon.com slash Kaiju Weekly Pod. And of course, there is always one more thing you can do to help support this podcast, and that is by going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. What that's going to do is that's going to put this show in front of other Kaiju tokusatsu and horror uh movie fans just like you and courtney and robert and everyone here listening uh and just i i don't want to say see the goo because i don't know if uh travis has abandoned that campaign yet or not but just uh, so uh so if, just if you want to support us i promise if you if you leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, we will read that feedback on a future episode. And so the last thing that we have to do or have, we have to say before we close out this episode is you can help control the giant monster population by having your things spayed or neutered. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know how you could, cause it, <laughs> I figured just it just yeah. as it goes, he just grows <laughs> back. Yeah. I wish, I wish a lot of things had that superpower. Oh, well, <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much.